Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. I was reminded of a story as I was preparing for this week, and, and I might have, I've shared it before, some of you this will be familiar and equally embarrassing for me, but some of you guys, it'll be brand new, but, but I have to admit, even though, you know, I know this shirt comes across like I'm a tactical outdoorsman, I'm not really that kind of guy. And, and I want to, like I've hung around with enough guys that are really into shooting and getting out on the range, and I love it, and I got all the gear because I like getting gear and stuff, but I'm just not that good at it, and, 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 and I try, and, I, and everybody tells me, like, Ian, you got to practice. you got to get into it. Like, that's a, that's, you got to do that more often, you know, get out on the range and get prepared. And I've watched enough movies, you know, with Denzel Washington and stuff where it's like, I think I know how I would respond, you know, if somebody came at me. You know, like, I, I know how I got it, you know, I know how to do my thing. Like, I'm ready to respond in a moment of trouble, but... Sometimes you get exposed, right? And there was a time last year where, where Amanda and I, we were home, and the kids weren't there. Thank God it would have scarred them for life. But we had this alarm system from Comcast. And, and this thing, I didn't love it because like, I didn't have cameras, and it would just tell you, like, something is moving at this door or something is moving at this window. And I just, it, like, tormented me. Like, I'd just wake up at night, like, make sure, like, is anything moving anywhere? And, and so this thing is on, and, and, you know, as being a big guy, I told you last week about my jiu-jitsu experience, and, and now I'm not really proficient with, all, you know, tactical John Wick or anything. And so I, I see this thing, and I hear it and, it, and it's bringing a lot of tension to my rest. And, and one night, the kids are gone, Amanda and I are there, and, and all of a sudden, this thing, it's not just beeping. It's screaming at me at the top of its lung. Wow, wow, wow. And I'm like, oh, this is it. It's happening. And I look over and it says, front door ajar. And I'm like, oh, and like everything, you know, just so like, and I'm like, it's happening. And, and I'm, I don't know what I feel, but I'm locked. You know, I can't move. I mean, it's like, well, what is happening? You got to go. Like, go do something. And I go and I just open up the front door and I'm like, Ugh! and I look down the stairs and I see the front door is closed. And I'm like, Whew. False alarm, babe. Luckily for them, you know, I was ready. <laughs> they were in trouble. And that thing, we go back to bed, we turn off the lights, and all of a sudden again, boo, 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 boo. And I look at it, and it says, back door ajar. And I went, ah! And so I've got the gun. I'm running down the stairs. Everything you're not supposed to do. Hey, I'm going to get you if you're in my... Like, I'm yelling at this guy, like trying to reason with him, and... And I think someone's in my home, and everything in me is like, you're not doing this right. Like, nothing about it's coordinated. You know, I'm 300 pounds. Boom, boom, boom. No tactical, no swiftness, just, just pure emotion, stumbling through the house, yelling at this intruder. And I get to the back door, and it's shut too. And I realized at that moment, we just had a glitch. Like, it was, there was nothing happening. It was just the false alarm. But it sent me into a frenzy and exposed my complete lack of preparation for the fight. It exposed in me that 
I didn't know what to do or how to handle that moment. And I mean, I think I would have handled somebody pretty well, but like I didn't do it right for sure. And so the truth was, I was at level 10 emotionally and logic and pre- like, you know, my lack of preparation, all of that was just out the door. All of it was exposed. And what I figured out in that moment was like, that was fight or flight, right? That was that instinctual thing that like, you know, all the endorphins dump and, and you're, you're, you're shaking and you're fearful and you're dilated and, and, and it's that intense moment. And, and what it was is conflict was at my door and I wasn't prepared for how to respond to it. And so it makes for a funny story about a big pastor that thinks he's, you know, John Wick. But the truth is, I wasn't ready for that moment. And, and my, my conviction is that we are in a season where we need to deal and understand and know how do we deal with conflict. Because At our door, the alarms are going off, and everything is saying, the fight is at hand. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? What does the Word of God say? Because I don't care where you train. I don't care what range you go to. If it's not in this book, it's not that big a deal. And the truth is, this book tells us, how do we fight? And, and, and I'm going to, you know, we're, we're using that word in a bit of dramatic language because the truth is, it is a fight, a conflict where, 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 where choices have to be made and, and we've got to get settled and understand like, hey, we're in the midst of it. And, and so the word of God is very clear. It's, it's not a thing where we, we have to go, well, I wonder what the Bible speaks to about conflict. I wonder what the Word of God says about how to deal with it. And I'm not saying we, that the Bible is going to teach you how to deal with a robber coming in your house. Go get lessons. That's all a different, totally different thing. But how do we deal with the spiritual, the real present spiritual warfare that is standing at our door? How do we deal with, with face-to-face, real, like I'm not talking, sometimes we think spiritual warfare And we assume that that's all just the invisible that we're never going to see, we're never going to feel in our life. It's just going to be happening. And so we're just kind of praying over it. But what happens when someone is in your face being divisive and pushing against that which God is calling you to do? That day is coming, beloved. There is a day coming where people will no longer deal with the fact that you have a mission from God and you're on it. They're going to stand in between you and that. And we've got to be ready and not freak out like old Pastor Ian here and lose your mind and run down the stairs and trip and fall. We've got to be ready. But what does the Word of God say in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober-minded. For the devil lurks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it's so fascinating. What is a roaring lion? You've heard me say this before if you've been here a while. But in the lion realm, again, I'm not a student of this, but you know, you've got kind of a lion and he's the king of the pride, right? He has control. He's the guy. And there's constantly this battle for the top. There's a battle for dominion. And and when he's the boss, he's the boss. And there's constantly this kind of younger Lions challenging and for a season he kind of he fights it off and he fights it off and then finally he moves on and he goes out to a different place and when that lion has lost its its grit that lion has lost his ability to fight 
He is far past his, his date. He doesn't stay there. He goes out on his own. And at this point, you start to see the lion's teeth be a little weaker. The lion's claws be a little softer. The, 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 the grit of the lion has been lost. And then he becomes a roaring lion. And what a roaring lion is, is a lion that no longer has the physical means to take care of business, but he still knows that his presence will scare you. And so a roaring lion will, will wait till his prey come up, and he'll jump out and roar loud, but he has no kind of bite to go with his bark, so to speak. And so we need to be aware. What would that do? That would cause fight or flight. All of a sudden, you're terrified. Either I've got to engage or I've got to run. And the devil is out there like a roaring lion. He's toothless. He's clawless. But he knows if he yells loud enough, he can scare you into submission. If he can get you caught off guard enough, he can divert you from your intention. And so it says be sober-minded is our first kind of encouragement for the fight before we get into Nehemiah. We've got to understand that, that as believers, it is our duty to, to, be, to keep ourselves, to be vigilant, to go, I need to be clear thinking. I don't need to let the emotions and the fear and the worry and the, oh my gosh, what's happening out here? I, this, and then in tizzy, I can't go there. I got to keep a sober mind. If you can't think clearly, if you can't, can't keep yourself then you'll allow yourself to be frantic and run and do and blah, 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 blah. And you've got to calm down and go, what is true? What's God saying? And what is my faithfulness right now? And it's that word from Peter that, 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 that encourages me today to go, we've got we've to be sober-minded before we ever start getting reactive. We've got to have clarity in our, in our mind and, in, and understand what is God saying right here if we want to effectively do what we're going to see Nehemiah do. And so as we've been going through the first couple chapters of Nehemiah, we've seen him take off. We've seen him live in a place of comfort. He, he, he's, he's worked his way up to being the cupbearer to the king, even in a foreign land. And even in, the, in a place where he's comfortable, where he has... He has influence where he has all that he needs. He hears about the state of God's people. And he hears about his home. And he responds by going, I'm going to forsake that which I've kind of earned to go and serve and love and, and make a difference. We've seen him set out on a journey to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he is in a place where, where this, is, this is not an easy task. And we talked about last week that that when God's calling you to something, it, it's, it's a bad thinking, it's bad theology to assume that that thing he's calling you to is going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And that's okay. When Noah was told to build a boat four times the size of this room, he didn't have like a secret skill saw that God snuck him in through the ages. So he just went, this is going to be difficult. I've got to find a lot of gopher wood. And that's okay. And so he took on this project. He took on this calling. Nehemiah took on a calling to rebuild the wall, even though the, the extent of it was devastating. It, couldn't, it wasn't getting done. Nobody could get this job done. And yet Nehemiah said, I will do it. His very name is the Lord brings comfort. 
And he shows up to a city that is broken, to a people that are displaced, and he starts to to do what God has called him to do. We pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us, despised us, and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Lord, we're asking that God, you would open up our hearts. That you would help us to hear from this simple, small portion of the scriptures this morning. And let it shape and mold us. Let it prepare us. Let it set a standard in us. That we could be like Nehemiah. Willing, available, called, and courageous. God, do that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. So the people that he lists right out of the gate, Sanballat and Tobiah, these are local kind of foreign government leaders. They're not the king, but they are people of influence. They are people that, that have influence in that area. Geshem is believed to be this kind of leader of this nomadic tribal people, uh, and, and we could get into that way more. But, but I want to suffice it to say, sometimes when we have conflict with people that you don't know or have no influence in your life, it's really easy to just let it go, right? But when people that have influence in your life start to hurt you, when people that have influence in your world start to attack you, when people that have that, that what they think you know, we want to say that. It's so easy to say that. And I want to, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. But we kind of do, right? I, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Not true. Like, I'm sorry. I, I want to be that way, but it's just not true. We do care a little bit what people think. And especially people that could, like, Make my life different, right? It's one thing to, to tell somebody, you know, hey, I, you know, I don't think you're doing the right thing. I had somebody write in, and, and we love our online audience, but they wrote in and said, I don't like what you said about this, this, and this. And, you know, and I'm like, have you ever been to our church? And it's like, no. Do you live in the area? No. Do, do you ever want to, like, meet or, like, talk about it? It's like, no. I just didn't like the way that sounded. It's like, Okay, good news, like, good deal, just keep on keeping on, you know? So it's one thing, but, that, but like, what if, what if somebody comes to you that's close, that's, that's near, that has influence, that, that matters, and, and you care what they have to say? And, 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 and Nehemiah is looking around, and he's going, hey, I've come to this city to do a great work. I've come here to, to make a difference. God has called me. The king has blessed me. All of the, the things are lining up, and then I, I hit a wall, and the wall is... People don't like it, and then they start to get in my face about it. You see, these men went from just a little bit earlier in the chapter, it said that these guys didn't like what Nehemiah was going to do, and now they confront him on it. And the confrontation is threefold. First, he mocks them. Then they despise him, 
And then they intimidate him with questions that they know the answer to. They're just trying to scare him and make him feel nervous. And, and you could start to go, man, that's just a kind of one-off thing. And then the more I thought about it, I said, isn't that the way the devil works? What happened to Jesus? They mocked him. They despised him. And they began to question the very nature of what he was doing and trying to do. And I'm just saying it could be that we are seeing a real pattern of behavior that the enemy has revealed. That when we're finding ourselves in the, in the, in the real moment of spiritual opposition with a person, it could be that it looks like they're going to mock you, they're going to despise you, and they're going to question the very motives of what you do. And when we see it, we need not panic and run down the stairs screaming, but we need to be sober-minded and respond like Nehemiah. We need to look right in the face of it and do what Nehemiah did. And I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like in your life. But I think it's like when you identify a dollar bill, you don't hold the fake ones, you hold a real one. You have to know what it's like. I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but I, I can tell you when you see it, when you touch it, when you smell it, when you encounter it, that's what it's going to feel like. It's going to feel like, like, like maybe it's a first-person pronouns because the enemy doesn't speak to you as an outsider, but he, he starts kind of mocking you in your head, mocking the call. That's silly. There's no way God would do that. That's just dumb. That's just, uh, I can't imagine God's asking me to do that. And then he starts to, man, man, this is stupid. I can't believe I would even think I'm, I'm good enough to do that. I just can't even believe that would happen. And then all of a sudden you start to question, what am I thinking? Why would I do that? What, God's probably, this, and you start to question it. And so we start to think, like when we start getting opposed, we've got to recognize it, step out of it, and go, wait a second. This is a fight. And if I'm not aware of it, then I might react and respond out of ways that are, that are completely useless to actually make a difference. And so what did Nehemiah do? Is he recognized these people and, and, and recognized the assault. He recognized this kind of threefold. They mocked me. They despised me. They questioned me from people that are actually influential, from people that are actually making a difference. One, we got to be encouraged that John 15 says, if the world hates you, you know that they hated me before they hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you find yourself in a place where you're being despised and mocked and intimidated, you need to know you're in good company. You need to know that you're, you're walking a worthy calling, that you're doing something God has said, that not only is the actual heavy lifting going to be difficult, but the opposition is going to be very real. It's not going to be out there. It's going to be right here. And when it happens, sober your mind and recognize that means you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're, you're living the life God's called you to live. If you're not in a fight, it might mean you're not doing anything. The 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 6 says, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, but think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, though we live life in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, this is the difference between learning how and preparing for carnal fights versus looking and understanding that you are just a sojourner here. Heaven is our home. We're ambassadors here for a moment, there for eternity. And we have an opportunity to fight a kingdom battle. And it doesn't look like the way the world approaches it. It doesn't look like fighting a fight like the world fights a fight. And so we've got to answer the question, what are we fighting and how are we fighting? For it says our weapons are mighty in God. And there's four things that they do. It pulls down strongholds, casts down arguments, casts down high places, and that's beliefs, systems, influences that oppose God's plan for your life. And it captures your mind. And it puts your mind into submission. It might even, you could say it like this, it, it, it gives you a sober mind. When you're fighting the spiritual fight, it should give you a sober-mindedness. It's not going to work you into a tizzy. It's not going to put you into fever pitch. When we start to, to battle in the spirit, we're going to find ourselves there and go, I can be settled, centered. I can know. I can, I can possess myself because I am doing a spiritual work. I'm not winning a carnal fight. See, beloved, when we stand against this, when we fight the right fight, it realigns us and it keeps us in a place of change. This is clearly Nehemiah's strategy. In that quick little verse, he immediately recognizes him, his enemy and he fights on the right playing field. He doesn't see their opposition and start to get knees shaking, arms rattling, face quivering. He doesn't get nervous and go, okay, all right, buddy. Well, I haven't done this, but here we go. Let's do some jujitsu. Like he... He fights in a different way. He looks right at them. And he answers their, their mocking, despising, intimidating voice. And he says, the God of heaven will prosper me. Therefore, his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or memorial here in Jerusalem. You see, I believe there's three real spiritual warfare, spiritual fight, spiritual truths we can gain in preparation for the battles ahead. The first thing he did is he believed the truth. He looked right at the face of the mocker, right at the face of the despiser, right at the face of the intimidators trying to, to bully him and trying to, to reroute him. And he said, I'm going to believe what's true. The God of heaven will prosper me. You can't despise me enough, mock me enough, or intimidate me enough to change course because I know him. 
and I believe it to be true, and you can't stop me. And there's a resolve in him right there to go, I'm not playing your game. I'm not listening to your voice. I'm not letting your truth become the truth. Why? Because the truth is the truth, and God said it, so I believe it. We gotta believe the truth. If we wanna fight the battle, you can't have part truth. You gotta know it. If you ain't in this book, how are you gonna know it? I don't want you to read the Bible because you're obligated to as some weird Christian thing. I want you to be ready for warfare. This book is your defense mechanism. And you've got to know the promise of God. You've got to know the truth of God. And let me just tell you, church, coming to hear me speak once a week isn't enough. You can't get enough of this here on Sunday morning. It needs to be in you. It needs to be part of you. It needs to possess you. It needs to be all over you. Committed to getting into it. Committed to to hearing the love letter that God's written you, the promises he has for you, the hope that our, our world has. It's sitting right here, so we got to believe the truth. But the question we have to ask ourselves day in and day out is what story am I believing? What part of, of the story? Am I listening to the mockers? Am I listening to the questioners? Am I listening to the intimidators? Am I listening to who am I listening to? What narrative is controlling my thoughts? You see, we're just human, even successful people. Like We're just human people. All of us. No one is better than the other one. We're all human. We all are subjected to the same dilemma, and we're all confronted with the same reality, even pastors. To, 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 to be tempted to listen to a story that isn't true. And we've got to get back to the truth. We've got to stand on it and say, God, what are you saying? What is the truth? Not get worked up in a tizzy just because somebody's trying to intimidate. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue... If there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on, let that thing grab you. Meditate on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you even in the fight. You see, we have got to, to think on these things, know these things, let these things get in us. Because the truth is, is there's a, there's a day at hand, I'm not even going to say coming, where the different narratives, the different truths, the mockers, the despisers, the intimidators are going to try to thwart you. And we've got to stay rooted in our truth, in the truth. The second point is this. He looks right at him, and this is so interesting. He says, first, the God of heaven will prosper us. And listen to this. This is so easily overlooked. Therefore, his servants will arise and build. My second point is, first, we've got to believe the truth. Second, 
we've got to move forward even in the face of it. You see, he doesn't say, now do you want to have a dialogue on if, we, if God really called me? Like, I know you, you don't like me, and you don't like what I'm doing, and you don't like what's happening, and you're really you know, make, saying some weird questions that are inferring some weird things. Let's like meet together and, uh, and, and find resolve. He says, the, the, God's men are going to do what God's called us to do. We're going forward. The wall will be built. I don't care what you think. And that doesn't sound very Christian, but it's like in the Bible. He said, we're doing what God said, no matter what you like, if you like it or not. I've got a job to do, and you can't stop it. And you see, I think this is so interesting because it's such an easy thing to go, Let's get tied up in the battle. Somebody told me once, they said, if you ever find yourself in a tug of war with the devil, drop the rope. <laughs> How much time do we waste fighting? How much time? You see, I believe it is my conviction that in this season, it might be that the greatest victory for the devil isn't to completely destroy your life, it's to keep you so distracted that you never touch your calling. If he can tie you up and get you focused and get you rattled and get you looking over here when God said to be over there, then he's completely thwarted God's will in your life. But maybe God's saying, drop the rope and move on. Because the kingdom is at hand, because work is to be done, and we've got souls to win for Jesus. And so when we see it, we've got to believe what's true, and then we've got to step right past. I get the visual impression when I read this that he's like, he sees them, they're kind of jarring at him, jeering at him, they're mad at him, they're ticked off at him, they're starting to say, hey, what's up with that? And, and he's walking away from him when he says, hey, the God of heaven is going to prosper me. The men of God are going to go do what he, we said we were going to do. And by the way, this is kind of a throw, you don't have any part or portion here. You don't have any authority. You don't have any. The final thing is we've got to declare the promise. You want to believe the truth? You've got to move forward and do it anyways, and then you've got to declare the promise that God has said about you. And again, it drives us to this place where we've got to know the promises of God in order to declare them. But he was smart enough and he understood enough to say, but you have no heritage, right, or memorial here in Jerusalem. This is my house. And so I'm going to build it. He knew what was true and he declared the very promise of what God had said to him. This is a brave heart, chilling moment. See, the attack, and, and, and there's a real problem. He didn't just go pray privately. He didn't sit back and become a doormat. He, he stood in the boldness of his inheritance and declared the promise and that they had no part or portion here. And someone here today needs a quick reminder and, pre and preparation for the battle about what this word says about you and your life. I don't care if you've been a a saint for 50 years or five minutes. You need to remember who God says, what God says about your life so that when those mockers, despisers, and intimidators come, you can stand, you can believe, you can move forward, and then you can declare 
But quickly, we could go on and on with this. This is a sermon series in itself. But here are ten. Ten truths to declare about who you are. First, John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Beloved, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a child of God. And you might go, that's so elementary, that's so easy. We don't need complicated, we need simple. I'm a child of God, that's why you can't shake me or rattle me. I'm not a child of this world. I'm not looking for people's affirmation, even though we kind of were people and we all want it. Like, I don't need it. Why? Because I've got affirmation from my Father in heaven. Two of you love that. <laughs> Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good, those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Now, this is misquoted and misrepresented all over the place. But the truth of the matter is, he has called you. He has, 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 has anointed you. He's touched your life. You are not a Christian observer. If you've said yes to Jesus, there is a great commission on your life. It is not just to sit back and watch other people do the thing. No, you might be the Nehemiah. You might be the Noah. You might be the great thing called to do something out of this world. You have been called. And you go, no, I haven't. And I said, yeah, 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 it's in here. Matthew 8, 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the... No, not Matthew 8, 28. Matthew 20, verse 28. You've been called to go, therefore, and make disciples, to teach them, to obey all that Jesus commanded and, 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 and trust that he's going to be with you always. That's no simple call, but you have been called for good works. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. How many people need to be reminded of that today? That's not just a word for them, it's a word for you. Grab it and let that, like put it on, like all of these, write these on your, on your mirror at home. Like this, this is who you are, it's what God has said. So when the, when the mockers and the despisers and the intimidators come, we've gotta have an answer, this is it. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I set you apart, I, made, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, he's, he's telling him, hey, I knew you in there and I appointed you for this work. What does that tell us? That he knew you before you were born and there's an appointment on your life. It's not the same appointment as me. It's not the same appointment as the person next to you. Why? Because you're individually and wonderfully made. You have a calling and a purpose for your life. And no one can shake that from you. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. You see, beloved, we've got to let that get on us. You're not an accident. You didn't stumble in here. You're not, you're not accidentally kind of by, you know, by proxy a part of life. God saw you, he understood you, he knows you, and he chose you. And so we get to stand as the chosen of God. 
with a great calling on our life. John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know what the master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This sounds audacious, it sounds crazy, but the truth of the matter is you are a friend of God. And we don't need to, to say that and go, yeah, but he's kind of friends with everybody. <laughs> no, you're like a special, different, best friend. I've always hated that term. Like, this is my best friend. I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. I like him more than I like other people. But we've got to understand that, that we've been invited into this special relationship with him where he's not hiding, he's not distant. And he says, I'm letting you know everything that I've learned from my Father. Do you think that was hyperbole? you think Jesus was like just kind of exaggerating there? No. He's being completely transparent. He's saying, everything I've seen him do, I've shown to you. I've been faithful. You can trust it. It's real. And if God's letting us into that inner circle, then we need to stand in confidence when the opposition comes. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are the handiwork, the, 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 the byproduct of God's skill set being, being put on display. Like you were made for a purpose. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we er eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship is not just here local. We are ambassadors here from a, from a distant place, from a foreign land, from heaven. That means that we come here to have purpose and, and, and make a difference, but, but our home is somewhere else. And so we, we intentionally grab a hold of that and say, hey, that gives us some authority to, 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 to speak to and to, to live differently. And the last two, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And you're going, man, I'm a mess, and I'm saying welcome to the mess. We all are. That's the secret. We're all in transition. We're all being shaped. We're all being molded. No one here is perfect. That's the beauty. God uses the, the, the least and the lost. He calls the most disqualified, and he sets them on great journeys to do great things, to change the world. And I think he does it to show everyone that you're invited. Because if he can use me, surely he can use you. And the truth is, is we've got to go, man, I am not a, an Ian 2.0 now that I know Jesus. I'm a brand new thing. And so the old is past and the new has come. I don't have to live under the bondage and slavery of who I was. Thank God there's some people here who knew me in high school. That was a bad day. But I'm brand new. And so we get to... To step into that when the mockers come, when the criticism come, when the questions come. How could he possibly use somebody like you? Oh, you didn't know. I'm brand new. <laughs> and so we can stand and have a, have a fight. And then finally, Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah. I don't know what specifically God has called each one of us to do. But I know God has called this church to be a, a beacon of hope, to, to teach, to preach, to disciple, to, to allow people to, to return home. We've you know, had people getting baptized week after week, and it's an incredible picture of the fact that, that it's working, it's happening. People are, are being transformed and shaped, and it's not just supposed to be so all of us can come here and go, Woohoo! We love our church. It's so we can be mobilized to go make a difference, build a wall, build an ark, do what he's called you to do, and know you've got a family that believes in you and is for you and is going to push you to the greatest heights imaginable. Because we are the body of Christ. And as we move toward that abundant life, as we prepare and as we understand that, that this isn't going to be easy, that the heavy lifting will be required, as we prepare and understand that there is going to come a day where not just kind of out there, but right in front of you, opposition is going to stand opposed to what God is doing in your life. We have an opportunity to either fight the way the world fights stumble down the stairs, yell really loud, freak out. And, or we can get a word from Nehemiah, a word that'll uh, tear down strongholds, a word that'll, that'll bring thoughts captive, a word that'll loosen and change and shape the very atmosphere of the world we live in by recognizing that which is true, continuing on our calling and our purpose no matter what comes, and then declaring the truth about who we are and what God's called us to be, no matter what the circumstances, no matter who the people, no matter what's happening, we know what's true. And so we fight not with carnal weapons, but with weapons that are mighty in God. See, beloved, the day isn't coming, the day is at hand. So prepare, lean in. This isn't a time for the church to freak out and go, oh, no. It's time for us to stand tall and give the world a hope in a world gone mad. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, we thank you, we honor you. And we invite you, God, to come and stir us up. Come and shape us. Come and convict us. Come and mold us. Come and, and turn us toward your kingdom. Bring our eyes to heaven. And where we are being distracted, I pray that you would give us focus. Where we've been negligent, God, I pray that you'd give us purpose. And where we've sinned, God, I pray that you would put a heart of repentance in us. So that we could honor you. Be faithful to you. And even when everyone else goes crazy, God, we could stand firm, sober-minded, knowing exactly where you called us to, to go and to be exactly who you called us to be. Make us more like Jesus this week. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you really, really soon. Make sure you grab a card and show your brothers and sisters in the parking lot grace in Jesus' name. God bless y'all.